Alright, welcome back everyone to our continuing series going through the different factions for Conquest, the Art Last Argument of Kings from Parabellum Games. In this particular series of videos, what we've been going through is, as I put in the title, why X particular faction is the best, or why you should be playing that faction. And today, our goal is to talk about the Spires. So, if that happens to be the first video of these that you've watched, let me just do a brief breakdown of what we're going to discuss here. We're going to start with a little bit of the lore related to them. We're going to then get into the rules for the army themselves. And that lore part can also talks about the factions. We get into the rules a bit. We talk about play styles. So we'll take a look at just considering some of the models and options as I see them at least. We'll talk about why you should be playing them. And then as importantly, why you shouldn't. Why there might be a good reason why they're just not the right army for you. So, um... If you've watched the other ones, it's a similar exact way we've done those. If you haven't watched any of these before, I have so far done them related to Old Dominion as well as Nords. Uh, the Old Dominion one's a good bit older, but I'm trying to get back into doing these because I do like doing them. I just got a little crazy with some other things instead. So, um, if you are enjoying these, we have, you know, all the information down below, of course. If you're listening to the podcatcher, then if you go on YouTube, we have all that as well. I do this on both. I will explain things in case someone is listening rather than watching as we go through. But otherwise, you do get a bit more if you're watching because we'll actually look at the army list and stuff like that in the builder. If you are enjoying this sort of content, likes, comments, subscribes, all that kind of stuff really helps. We also do have a um, affiliate code with Parallel Games. I always put it in show notes. So if you are looking at this or anything else, you don't have a local store that you're buying from, say you're just buying online, and you want to save 10% and help us out as well, that's there for you guys. All right, so at this point then, let's get in and talk a little bit about the Spires and their lore. So, for the Spires, um, the big key is these guys are actually, for all intents and purposes, aliens. This is, at least for the factions we currently have, the only non-terrestrials that we have seen. Now, we do know, as we'll talk about a little bit, that the Spires kind of broke into some factions as well. There's also the Weavers and all of that. So, we have to wait and see a little bit more of when they give us all the lore around them. And there might be other factions from who knows where else that come out in the future. But for the moment, these guys are essentially the aliens of the setting. And if you look at them, they absolutely fit that. They're called spires because of the very large, tall, spire-like structures that they house themselves in. Now, they have been here for millennia. Um, I don't believe it gives an exact amount, but the idea is that for as long as anything around has known, they have just always been there. So what are why did they show up? So what is known is that they obviously came from somewhere else, and who they sent here was essentially their scientists, surveyors, explorers, essentially a sort of force to come down and judge the world and figure out what does it have to offer them as a people. We don't truly know exactly what it is that they wanted for sure. We know some of the things that they do, but if they were looking for something special, not sure. They kept a few hundred centuries. Oh, sorry, not hundred centuries, sorry, several centuries, a few hundred years or several centuries, studying in isolation to prepare for settlers. So essentially they send their scientists, surveyors, and all of that to make sense of the world. And then a couple hundred years later, the settlers show up to start colonizing this world, pulling it from its resources, whatever it is that they may happen to want. Except that didn't happen this time. When they 
had their portal, their door, as they usually call it. My guess is it's some sort of wormhole, but the people in Aya wouldn't know, or Aya, maybe I'll pronounce it that way, my apologies. Aya really wouldn't know what it is anyway, that instead of all these settlers, they were getting refugees. Now, we're not told what it is that happened on their, essentially their home world, their home system. All we know is it's something they don't speak about to this day. So something awful and terrible was happening back there. And people, or spires, I should say, maybe I shouldn't really call them people, spires were fleeing. And at one point, while fleeing, through, again, this wormhole-like structure, the doorway got closed. And that doorway was closed by the sovereign. It was the leader of the sovereign house. It was a house of nobles. So the doorway got shut which means no one else could get through and presumably was left to be destroyed. Whether they had other options or other places they could go, we just don't really know. At least not yet. We might find out more things in the future. Now, um, the way their, their structure works to some extent, the way the spires work to some extent, is they have these sort of, like you said, noble houses. They're the rulers. And then you have various groups underneath them. The sovereign house, or at least the sovereign, the one who shut this door, he was essentially a high man on the totem pole at the moment. Um, the belief is that he probably shut it before people who could have told him what to do showed up. So essentially, he noticed he was the most important person who had come through, shut the door, and now he stays the most important person. Um, what happened over the next bit of time is that the spires broke out into three different factions, the spires themselves the Weavers, and the Quiet. Um, we haven't seen the other two factions much. We've heard them talked about. If you watch my video on Nords, they are brought up in the Norse mythology for for them. But the Quiet, as far as I'm aware, we haven't seen too, too much with, at least not currently. And I know for the game itself, they have quite a few more factions they want to get through. So we're likely to see something about them in the future. Now, a, a war broke out between the people who had already been there, or the Spires faction had already been there, these scientists, explorers, essentially academic types, if you want to think about it that way, and they called themselves the Directorate, and the nobles, so the ruling class. See, the Directorate, they had spent hundreds of years working on their own, doing the things that they wanted to do, not having essentially any masters to tell them no. And then... When these refugees showed up, this sovereign house shows up, this sovereign is there, and he says, you're going to follow what I want. I'm back in charge. And they had a big problem with this. So they had a, a what you would call a quiet war. In other words, there was not necessarily any large-scale battles or anything like that. It was, it was more of a, you know, a war in the dark. And what they found was that each side had something useful. The nobles couldn't really get rid of the directorate. Um, they had ingrained themselves too much. These are the ones who, as we will talk about shortly, create the armies, all of that. Um, and the directorate themselves, you know, couldn't necessarily go against the nobles entirely. And they knew that that wasn't necessarily in their best interest. So the two sides worked out a deal. And that deal was that the nobles will get the wealth. And that wealth doesn't necessarily come in the form of money or anything like that, or what we might think of as money. It comes in the form of such things as biomass, um, elements, 
resources, those sort of things. It's much more primordial rather than monetary. So they would be the ones to get the wealth. And the operational control, essentially the making sure things happen on a day-to-day basis, was going to be controlled by the directorate. So the nobles would essentially get their cut of everything, but the directorate would be left with the task of running, creating the armies, and doing their biomancy. See, originally, they had a different sort of ability that they did. They worked more through what they called as life-binding, and and they kind of saw it as a stifling practice that they were essentially not allowed to do the things they'd wanted to do, and they had went on to full-on biomancy. So creating and making things as they wish and will. So the directorate have to use this biomancy to help the sovereign house. And the goal was to help them reclaim the homelands, whatever world or worlds they came from. That was the nobles gaining all their wealth. And in return, when they were in the position, the nobles, to go back and claim their homeworld, that they would leave and the directorate would have Aya. So they would then be able to rule it without this ruling class being there. Um, For this, it also does mean, as we'll get into, that there's obviously some smaller deals put between the two, but we'll get into that when we talk about the factions. So what do the Spires do then? They take these biomats, these resources, these minerals, and all the other things that they can get, and they use that to create their armies using this biomancy. Part of the control they put through that is also through pheromancy, so pheromones and all of that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the Underspire. But essentially, they create their armies. They have great cloning pits and and creation and, and wombs and all these sorts of things to be able to make their armies and anything else they need. If they need something to fit a job, they just create that thing. So let's talk about the factions then for this. You have the sovereign lineages. So these are the nobles of the Sovereign House, the ruling house, the only noble house that is on Aya. Um, I know I go keep going back and forth between I and Aya. Aya is what I should be saying, but every now and then I slip. So I do apologize for that. So it's ruled over by the Sovereign, by essentially their leader. Their goal is to reclaim the homelands, to reclaim the worlds that they lost to whatever horror it was that took it from them. And one way they do this is they use the directorate for pet projects over these various millennia to be able to create the strongest warriors they can. So they might fund particular research from certain parts of the directorate to make them something that fits a specification. And then they might have them battle against other parts that the sovereign lineages have. So my champion will fight your champion to see who is better and whoever is better. Now we know something and now we can make more of that. Um, It actually, I I didn't go through and play it, but this reminds me a bit of like Callisto Protocol um, because there's a part in there where you're fighting essentially a genetically modified thing and trying to see who is better. Um, Try not to make it too much of a spoiler there, but the game really wasn't that good, so it's okay. Um, So you essentially have the noble house and all of their machinations and plans. Another spot you have is the directorate. The director, again, these are the scientists. And and the idea is these are the scientists with their reins removed. Their goal is to be able to do whatever they want. No, science without boundary, without check. 
they said they used to do this practice called life binding, and now they've turned to full on biomancy. And their resource, they, they're, the big problem is though, they're resource poor. So they don't have the biomass at hand. They don't have all the other things they need to do their work. They are lacking some of these resources, minerals, whatever these things are. So they do rely on, rely upon the lineages for these materials. So the lineages essentially provide the raw materials. The directorate then can do what they want with the materials, including these pet projects. The other part of this is the underspire. So the spires go exceptionally tall into the air and largely also underground as well. They have whole networks of tubes and wires and all sorts of bits. There's a lot to this underspire portion. The way they talk about it, it almost sounds like they're connected to each other. These spires dot the landscape. I don't know if that's true, but they kind of make it sound that way. The idea is this is the lifeblood of the spire. This is where your clone pits and all of that come from. This is where essentially you get what we call the spires other than the leadership. And essentially the leaders of the war bands, maybe I should say. The big thing is as power was gained, the director who originally were down there, in this sort of underground, underspire area. In order to be able to facilitate what they want better, they started moving up. So over time, the noble lineages, the sovereign lineages, went to the high ends of the spire. And a lot of the directorate did as well. They didn't necessarily go quite as high, but it's sort of like if your boss is on the top floor, then you want to get the floor underneath or the one underneath that, not be down in the sorting room in the basement. Because being higher up gets you more status, means you might be able to get more of these pet projects, you can get more resources, you can get to do more of what you want. So they left their lessers, as they call them, to toil away down there. This is the pharaomancers. And the big problem is that there is issues that have come up. Um, people have gone missing, or, or spires have gone missing, all sorts of problems that the higher-ups don't know about. And in particular, they're the pharaomancers aren't really telling them. Most likely, because the concern is if you rock the boat, maybe you won't get to move up. Maybe if you stay quiet and do your job, you'll become important enough. And there might be some other things at play. Um, so that's a bit about the factions in general. One other big thing I want to mention is they have a big distinction here of clones and drones. Clones means it's the DNA of these exiles, of the spires themselves. They essentially are exiles. And if it's a drone, it's DNA, at least partly from Aya. So whenever they say clone, it is copies to some extent. Drones is anything else. All right, so having said all of that, and again, um, for these, this lore is all freely available from the Parabellum Games website. I like to surmise it without going to too much of the line by line, but adding a little bit to it as well. So let's talk about rules. So importantly for these, their rules have changed. You'll notice at the moment, at least we're recording this in November, the moment it's in red, this very well may change. So if they do change these greatly in the future, like they did in the past, we'll absolutely put out some update videos and discuss it. So uh, as they say, their special rules, the master's touch. So when you create an army list, you dedicate it to one of these three sub-factions that we just spoke about. If you do, the warlord permitted by that sub-faction so you have to take whatever they say you're allowed, and you gain this respective master's touch. So essentially, 
Now, you can take other factions to this or, or other, other bits, and you can take models that, say like the first one, Sovereign Lineage has to be Lineage Highborn or High Clone Executor. That doesn't mean you're not allowed to take other people, just one of them has to be your Warlord, so it essentially declares your Warlord trait for you. And the other key feature is the gain, depending on how it's worded, isn't just related to them. So you can still take Biomancers if you want and take the units that Biomancers are allowed. Of particular interest, we'll get to this later, but um, they have the Siegebreaker coming out. The Lineage Highborn is the only one who takes that. So if you take one of these that doesn't say the Lineage Highborn can't be your Warlord, you may still take one. So if you're going the Sovereign Lineage, if you're going with the Nobles, with the Lineage Highborn or the Highborn, sorry, the High Clone Executor, when selecting regiments for any Lineage Highborn, High Clone Executors, or Minetic Assassins Warband, you may increase their cost by five points of stand. If you do, their clash goes up by plus one to a maximum of three, and that three is only a restriction during list building. So later, if you're inspiring or have other rules, you're allowed to go higher as you wish. Um, this one is quite strong. Five points of stand is not really that much. I find, at least for me personally, I always have some points left over. I mostly have... Now, I'll use it on upgrades, but hey, these are upgrades. Because the base way you take most of your models is in a three-pack, meaning the points are usually minimum of 100, but could be much, much more than that. It means that you don't necessarily have the ability to spend 10, 15, or 20 points easily. You're spending it on upgrades. So this is just another way to upgrade. The other big thing is most of what these three can take are Clash 2. In general, this is an army that has most of its things at Clash 2, or, or potentially some of them were like a certain types of drones at even Clash 1 or, or bad numbers like that. So most of what you take, you're able to do this. Now, you do need them as part of their warbands. So this is going to discount some units. Luckily, some of the ones that discounts, one, you don't have to spend it for everyone in the warband. You can spend it as you wish. But the other key feature is some of the ones that discludes are some of the ones that would be higher anyway. So if you want your individual units to be a bit better, great option. Well, um, the other thing you have to consider is what their warlord traits then have to be, and we'll discuss a little bit of those when we talk about playstyles. The other option is the scientists and, and all those types you could play the directorate. You have to take either a Biomancer or another High Clone Executor. They have to be your Warlord, one or the other. And this is personalized epigenetic triggers. While this Warlord is on the battlefield, all regiments in your army gain the Burnout Draw event. However, only one regiment may resolve that event each round. If they already have Burnout, then you ignore... Sorry, as part of it, ignores this limitation. So in other words, if you already have burnout, you're allowed to use your burnout. But otherwise, one other, maybe that's the best way to put it, one other unit in the army gets to do burnout. So um, a few things there. One, I want to talk about what epigenetic is, because um, this actually I had to look up. I did not know this. Um, and actually, I pulled up a thing from if it will show there it is this is related to some studies that are are being done or, or discussions being done at harvard university talks a little bit about what is epigenetics and the, the the basis of this and now i'm not a geneticist so i don't want to say definitive things here essentially what it means is this is the nature versus nurture kind of idea so it's ways that your dna gets affected or your i should say your genes get affected that aren't from dna so we know, based off of things, certain genes 
end up being more prominent for people than others. And this is a way to study why does that happen? Because it's not happening from your DNA. Your DNA isn't forcing some genes to go to the forefront. So that's in essence what we're looking at. So when they talk about these biomancers, there we go, essentially they're forcing forward certain traits. Now to talk about what burnout is. For burnout, you get plus one to your clash and plus two to your march. You also get decay. There's decay. So as it says for decay, at the end of the regiment's deactivation step. So when they're done, for every stand, you roll that many dice. And for a five or a six, my apologies, not a six. A five or a six, you take a wound. You do does not cause morale tests. And there can be several instances, all those values you get put together. Sorry, it was one of its, um, I was thinking about going over certain types of terrain. They add more. So it's central on fives and sixes, you take wounds. So that's what decay is. So you get an extra clash, you get extra move for one of your units, but then they start taking some damage. Um, like I said, as we're going to look at this army, there's several units that already have burnout. We'll discuss it when we talk about a more themed force here. Last special rule is the under, under spire, which obviously you have to take a pharomancer for this. And this is the unnumbered menagerie. While that warlord is on the battlefield, so pay attention that this is one of the few that doesn't occur at all times. A lot of them have started to do that. While they're on the battlefield, your force-grown drones, your onslaught drones, your brute drones, and the strix regiments in the army gain the regen four special, essentially draw event special rule. So when they draw their card, they get to heal up four wounds, which can bring back stands as long as you're bringing back at least half. So these are the main things that they're making way down there, the drones, the things based off of a, a DNA, and they can start bringing them back. All right, so to discuss this, um, what matters now is we want to talk a little bit about some play styles, and that'll help us kind of flush out what these three different groups are. So if you're listening, um, I am going to be pulling up and looking through the army builder. We'll be discussing it as well, but the army builder will be here to be able to talk about and I'll resize the window as necessary um, for this actually we'll need. All right, brief pause there for anyone who is watching it just so I could resize the window. All right, so um, as always, I try to break down a little bit of what I see as play styles. Now, you very well might see different ones. If you do, please leave comments. I love to hear from people who play these armies, what ways they play them, what ideas they like, things they don't like, all of that. I will say, though, I try to keep most of the discussion to units that are currently out or about to come out because we don't have a time frame for some of the others. Like They have the, the Desolation Drones and Beasts. We don't know when they're going to arrive. Now, if you're playing a friendly game, proxy everything. Who cares? But because that could be a thing or I do play events of this, I try to steer more towards what is out. However, they have plenty of options that are actually out. So for play styles, um, I wrote down essentially three. And, and this is what I kind of see as those. The first one I called the Undying Legion. So for this, uh, Underspire works really well for this. That's one very good answer option because the Underspire lets you get regen four on a lot of your drone units. Now that does mean you'll wanna take drone units, but nothing wrong with that. If we take a look at say our Fioman, our, sorry, our Pharomancer, we'll have here. What's good then of course, if that is your Warlord, which if you're doing Underspire has to be, that means you get the supremacy ability of suppressed survival instincts. And for this one, it's not as um, useful as some of the others, but your units 
tend to have a good bit of healing, but it means that you get to reroll your failed resolve tests. And it's always considered to be active if they're within 12 of this character. So if you're stacking things close, their resolve in this army tends to be the better of the stat. So their defense is usually not as good. Their resolve tends to be a little bit better, at least not in all spots, but in some reasonable places. And even if it's poor, then it's usually they're much reversed. So you have that. The other option there for your leader, if you didn't want to do it that way, you could take anyone else. Um, I think the Underspired does a little bit better for this, but you absolutely could take Directorate so that way you can get um, a Biomancer. And they give different things, although it doesn't help for survivability. It's much more about causing damage. So I think Underspired is the way to go with this. few other things you get in there. I do like taking the Biomancer because this special rule of Men Flesh means you target an enemy, sorry, a friendly regiment within eight inches and they heal two wounds. So there's a way to heal more. Um, every regiment's restricted to one, but remember, you're allowed to take up to two of each of these characters. So you could actually take two Biomancers. I think you're being led by a Pharomancer for sure. So the point of this is that you can get a lot of healing. Another way you can get it, you can get Biotic Renewal Mutation. So one of the mutations, let's get to that particular mutation. Um, where is it? My apologies. It takes me a second to find this because there's a lot of little pieces. There it is. Biotic Wellspring for 20 points. Has to be a Pharomancer. It takes this. You get the Biotic Renewal Draw Event. As it says, you roll D6. The regiment heals a number of wounds equal to the result. If they're not infantry, then you get a D3. So you get that particular mutation that then you can use. So there's a lot of different ways for these guys to do healing. Um, I've played against this before. And like I said, this this is a draw event. So when they go, you get to heal. You're in general, when the units go, they get to heal. You can have some healing from your biomancers. Some of these units have other ways of other stackables. When we talk about other things you can get, you don't necessarily get a whole lot of other healing in some of these units, but you do get useful rules, things like lethal demise. These are the mines means you take as many wounds as I took when we're in close combat. And then say something like this, Strix, that's one of the units that you can heal up. So notice, their stats, the resolve is one, their defense is one, neither is really that great. You will get to reroll those resolves of one, great, you might make one. But for every bit of damage that I take, you take, and I have reliable healing. Now, I need to make sure I survive it. This sort of healing list, it does require that you live long enough. So it, the units that you heal the best tend to be the units with, uh, surprise, surprise, some of the worst stats. So that does mean when you're doing these sorts of things that you do want to make sure, or if we take a look at, say, those Onslaught drones, hey, Resolve 2, Defense 2, they naturally have Burnout, so they can bump themselves up. They have Linebreaker, Witch's Gate, all of that. Catabolic Node, that's a way for the an explosion to occur in close combat. And you take the one of the dice, the other person takes both dice kind of things. So you have ways in these to either not have great stats or to hurt yourself. And here's a great way to start getting units back. There are some other ways to heal, of course, as well, but I kind of see that as one of these options here. So you could play it where your goal is to survive. If you want to survive, though, I think you're taking big units. You're not taking min-sized squads of any of these. You want to have a large amount of models because you're going to potentially, on some of these units, take a lot of hits. 
Your goal in that is sort of in a way to win the war of attrition. You just outlast. All right, other options I see. One of the other ones I saw was elite. So this is an army. We'll go through this when we go through negatives as well, because to me it can be a negative. depends on you personally. But this army can require tons of models, especially if you're going this particular route of that Undying Legion. These Pharomancers, a lot of their units are a bit cheaper and usually not very survivable, so you might want to take a lot of them. So the, like I said, the other way I see it is the Elites. Um, I would then, of course, be going Sovereign Lineage, and I'd be spending those points for that plus one Clash. So whatever units are on a two or less on my Clash, I'd be spending five points per stand. Um, like I said, most of the army is Clash 2, or at least the units that they take. There's entries that aren't, but a lot of the ones they take are, so you could get a lot of use out of it. Um, if you're doing that, that means you're taking an Executor or a Lineage Highborn as your leader. You can see some of the options that they have. Um, the mainstay for the Highborn Avatara, they get Centaur Avatara, Incarnate Sentinels. So they get some of the bigger options, including the only model that takes the Siegebreaker Behemoth, which is going to come out shortly. And I think it's actually a great looking model. So I think that's a very, very good option. When you look at the high clone executor, he takes a lot more of the clones and drones. He does take some of the special things or, or bigger ones, including say brute drones and all. But if I'm going this, I'm looking at taking some of these more expensive, more harder hitting type units. And my goal is to hit you before you hit me. So um, say for example, if we're taking a look at the Lineage Highborn, which actually is a brute, so this is a little bit more, not a monster, but more monstrous, you could take in terms of its legacy, sorry, its supremacy ability, Legacy of the Ark. When you create it, you select one, either Lineage Highborn or Nomadic Assassin character stand in your army. It may select to three mutations at no additional cost instead of approaching a number on their army list. So they can just get mutations. Um, if you look at a lot of the mutations, if we're doing this, you can go back and forth on what you want. Um, we already talked about how Lethal Demise was good. They have ways of grabbing that. You could take um, Aura Death 4, so you can start removing people before they even swing. You can get the Jara Event uh, Pharomatic Override. Um, like I said, it's once per battle. Someone within six inches of that character, they immediately perform a free additional out-of-sequence Clash Volley or March. So... Normally 60 points, normally prohibitive, but if this guy's your leader, you can select three mutations at no additional cost. So you're taking that as one of your mutations because someone else getting the swing, they can. that means you could potentially move in, charge, and if you didn't get swings there, when you get this draw event later from that unit, you can. You can try to stack yourself appropriately. Or if they're already stuck in and the enemy hasn't gone yet, so you got in, got your hits in, I can now have this unit swing again before you get to go. Um, as we're going to see, survivability can be one of the one of the factions' um, more difficult things. What I would do for this is I would look for anything that is either specifically for him or the more expensive stuff. Look at the things that cost a lot. Like I said, that aura death it's thirty five points. He would get it for free. So you want to look for those sort of things. Where can you really get some good uses out of? Um, if you take the High Clone Executor instead, you get Coordinated Assault. Uh, once per battle, during your first draw command card step of the round, you draw and resolve the first three command cards. And it says, as one draw, instead of drawing one command card, so you're going to draw all three, they're each going to do their things, 
So you can, again, time yourself appropriately and have a lot of actions occur at once. Again, one of the things I think this army struggles with is if they get in protracted battles. Both of these options want to stay out of protracted battles and they want to help you win them before it occurs. And I think this sort of elite play style does that. If we look at the new thing about to come out, the Siegebreaker Behemoth, big thing on that is he has Smite. Smite means you don't get defense saves. Your defense characteristic is zero. So if you have Evade, you have that. But you get defense zero. He does have Brutal Impact. It has Impact 5, Brutal Impact 3, Impact 5, so it means it gets some damage when it comes in. It swings with 8 attacks. That's not a huge amount of attacks. But if you hit someone who was all defense, no Evade, they don't get to save any of it. I've done enough with Bekefali, where when I get into something with their cleave levels, if you don't have Evade and you get no saves, 8 is fine. Because I'll get through, you know, you're on Clash 3, let's say you're rushed and inspired, you're sitting on 4s, all right, I'm going to get through probably realistically five to six of those. So you have five to six wounds down. You're now going to resolve. Terrifying two, so you're resolving at minus two. I'm going to be taking 10, 11, maybe 12 or more wounds off of you each time. That's not counting what I did to you when I impacted you as well, because I easily could have gotten a few extra there. So can worry about big units, worries about things that don't evade well. So I, I see that Centaur Avatara, I think, are something you have to take in this sort of list because you need something that can get that fast punch. Um, move 8, you do have some stuff with some more speed, but move eight's really good. You have Brutal Impact 2 with 3 impact hits. They have Flurry. Um, this is an army that, at least in certain spots, can get a decent amount of Flurry. So you can go off of that for consistency. Um, their Clash 3, you charge in, that's Force. Force re-rolling is really, really good. So you have those sort of options. So I see one of the options as taking the more expensive things. I do think an abomination could play into that, but I will say the abomination is very expensive and not that great. The problem with the abomination, in my mind, it is very fast. It has flurry and all of that. Defense is decent at three. Resolve at four is pretty good, but it just doesn't feel like it sticks around well enough. It feels like if people want to take it down, because I mean, I, I've destroyed one before in spots where with units that really shouldn't have been able to. Um, I feel it's somewhat cheap at 150, but it just feels a little bit lacking at points. The other thing is, I think the model's really bad looking. However, they are doing a different abomination that's going to be coming out in the new year, I believe it is. They talked about it. Um, I just don't remember the exact date. But they are going to do a new one, and that one looked really, really good. So I would wait on the abomination until you get the new one. But same thing. If you're taking the lineage... Um, sorry, the lineage... Um, Highborn, then you need something like Avatar for him to go in. Quite good option, support two, all of that. So I, I see you could run some of the more expensive units. Your goal there, though, is not to get hit. You want to be controlling when the hits happen because you're not going to survive the punch back as well. Last one I see is aggressive. So the other option is that you can just play full on flat out. Um, for this, I see taking Directorate for Burnout. Because Burnout's going to give you more move, and it's going to give you better Clash. Again, it's only on one unit, but you do have some other ones that already have it. We looked at those Onslaught Drones. Onslaught Drones already have Burnout. So if you have some Onslaught Drones, and then you take something else, you can get a, quite a bit extra. Remember, you can take the Biomancer as your leader for that. And we talked a little bit about his Supremacy to go through it a little bit more. 
until the end of the round when you perform a clash with a friendly regiment. If it's an infantry regiment, all stands add plus two to their attacks and they suffer decay three. If it's cavalry or brute regiments, they add plus three to their attacks characteristic and suffer decay three. So if you're infantry, you get two extra attacks. Cavalry or brutes, plus three extra attacks. Monsters, plus four. But they do suffer decay six in that case. So you can get a lot more out of this. So so when you're looking at what he can do here with his... And, and notice, actually, his draw event, Biotic Renewal. So that is a healing thing as well. We talked before about one of the healing options. He automatically comes with Biotic Renewal. So your units start to decay faster, but they hit a lot harder. So it's very important to get in there, rush in, do this damage. Like I said, you get more burnout, adds more to the decay. You have this provoke instability. Um, you do have, of course, some other biomancies. They always get to do one of the biomancies. So you can always take a look and see what sort of things they do, such as unstable enhancement. Um, you draw your next command card. If that regiment is within 12 inches, it it acts immediately and adds plus two to its march and plus one is clash or volley. And then they start to decay. So this is a force that's going to win early or lose very, very bad. Uh, when I look at things, like I said, I, you know, the director to get this burnout, I think it's big. Onslaught drones who already have burnout. Um, the centaur, I think the centaur avatara for the fact that they have flurry. And this is a unit that could really benefit from getting these extra attacks. I think the same thing if you take that Siegebreaker Behemoth, giving him some extra attacks is huge. He will then get through whatever unit you want to throw him at. Um, I like the look of either the Vanguard Clone Infiltrators or the Marksman, because I think this is the sort of list that does want some ranged as well, because you want to be able to hit people early. The Vanguard Clone Infiltrators are light. They're 14 inches, so they're shorter, but they get in the field faster with um, Barrage 5. They also have Fluid Formation and Vanguard, so they can realistically start shooting turn two. Or you have the Marksman Clones, 22-inch um, shot. They do have Arcing Fire, so if they aim, they don't care about anything that intervenes. They essentially can take their shots anyway. They won't get the plus one from the aim, but they can take their shots. And they also have Barrage 5. So I see this as sort of list where you're raining fire down the enemies as everything else rushes forward to hit them all at once. The other big thing this sort of build would want this aggressive build is those catabolic nodes. There is quite a few units who can take catabolic nodes, like force grown drones and all. Catabolic nodes, when you declare that clash, so you have to be declaring a clash, before it happens, you roll 2d6. Um, one enemy will take the combina combination of both those dice. Um, you take the die from the higher. So you take one dice, they take two. And they do talk about, well, then that one's removed from the command stand. So it cannot be restored back once it's been removed. So it's a once per game thing. But they tend to be 20 or so points. So I think that's a good upgrade in some of these. Get in, take out a bunch of their models, then swing. So that's the, the other thing that I see. Um, for how to start, this will be really fast because I think the best way to start these guys and really about the only way to start these guys currently, if we take a look at it, um, at least while it's the Christmas season, because it is currently the getting close to the Christmas season, not quite there yet, but hey, close enough, they do have these supercharged holiday deals. The nice part about this deal is for the cost of the normal box, you get an extra box of something else. 
So the normal starter set is three brute drones, 12 either bound clones or onslaught drones. You can build them for either kit. You get a 12 pack of Vanguard clones or Vanguard infiltrators. Um, you also get 12 marksman clones. So you get quite a few people and they show you that you also get a high clone executor. If you get this, you get an extra free box of brute drones. So you actually get six stands. Me personally, I think six stands is the right way to go when you are building forces. I don't always take six stands of everything, but I like the option because I will take four or five at times, maybe six at some times as well. So I do want that as a choice. Um, if you do that, like I said, right now you're saving, at least US-wise, saving about 50 bucks. And if you want to use our affiliate code, which is linked below, you save a further 10% on that. So you can save money just by buying stuff. Um, beyond that, where do I go from there? Me personally, um, I am looking for that Siegebreaker Behemoth when he comes out shortly. They have him already up for pre-order. And to take him, you need a Lineage Highborn. So I would be grabbing Lineage Highborn. But I think Lineage Highborn is quite good because he can go into your Avatar units and all of that. I do think there's some good options there. I think you have, this is an army where I think you really do have to consider your playstyle because you have some units that are very, um, maybe the nice way to put this is, is expendable. When you look at a lot of your drones, you are probably taking quite a few drones. You're potentially taking very large units of them and you're going to lose them quite quickly. And you have ways to get them back. You have, you have biotic renewals. You have ways to put models on the table. But you're going to be a little bit more mass type there if you're taking like the Strix. You can get much more specialized with some of these more expensive units, dro um, brute drones, and things like that. But I do think here you have to decide what you want. Off of that base box, the next thing I would probably do, I would be looking at something big. Um, I would be maybe looking, if I didn't want to go to Siegebreaker Behemoth, I would probably be looking at maybe the Centaur Avatara. When you take a look at your options there, because it did have a high high clone executor in there, he doesn't take them. So I would branch out personally into one of the others. Um, if we're looking for them in particular, or let's say if you want to go towards Pharomancers, I would take Brutes. Otherwise, what is it? Um, sorry, it would be, who takes them? Uh, the, sorry, the Lineage Highborn. So either way, actually, yeah. Either way, I'm grabbing a Lineage Highborn. That's what I want. That's where I would go next, and then I would grab a unit that you want to put with him. That's how I would expand out that box. The other thing I would expand out is whichever of the base-type things you want to take. If you're taking certain dr drones or certain clones, say Vanguard clones or anything like that, I would buy another box of those sort of things. Because you're going to either want the bodies for your units, because a three-pack of some of these guys on four wounds each with a save of, say, one if you're taking base drones, that's not going to last very long, so you're going to need more. So, um, that part was pretty quick. Let's get into why to play them then. So, for why to play these guys, one, they're very alien. One, we did say they are aliens, but the other nice part of that is they have a very different look overall and a very alien look in a lot of ways. Uh, we didn't get through this in the lore. Maybe I should have said this a little more, and I'll say it now. The way that they work is they create you for a purpose and they create you in the way that you need to be for that purpose. So they specifically talk about for some of them, um, they talk about, I believe it's for the base drones. If I found it, my apologies. I paused there for a moment because I can't remember which unit. If you actually look at the force grown drones, so if you're watching, I'll pull them up here. If you take a look, if you actually zoom in on their faces, 
there's actually like bandages and things like that on some of them. They create you for your purpose. So for those drones, you would think, based off of what they do to them, they're kind of a failed experiment. It's like, no, they're exactly what they want them to be. Um, they have bandages and all on their faces because they're coated in antiseptics and things like that because they don't have an immune system. Because giving them an immune system would slow them down. Um, they, in essence, really aren't given much of a stomach, if anything. They're able to ingest a paste. That's about it. Because, again, that would slow them down. Why do they need it? If we know you're, we're putting you out there and in a few weeks you're going to be gone anyway, I don't need to give you all these extras. You know, you only need an immune system. You have an immune system now because you try to survive for a while. They don't have them survive. That's not their concern. So, you know, it, it's a very alien sort of idea. It's a very oddly designed sort of idea. So they do have that sort of otherworldly factor. I think that's a big thing. One of the options, other reasons to play these guys is customization. They have some of the most customized bits just because of all these various mutations. Now, that's not to say other factions can't customize things, but they have tons of mutations. They have tons of powers on different things. When you looked at some of their leader abilities, hey, if you take that lineage highborn because um, you're taking the, the sovereign lineages, well, I can start tweaking out those units. There's a lot of options and variability you can do here. So you can take sort of a base list and decide, am I going to throw extra points into this? Am I going to be taking these upgrades instead? Like I said, we later I want to do a more built out what you can do with all of these, where we're really going to deep dive into some of the options. But you can really play up a lot of the healing. You can play up a lot of that catalytic damage. You can play up a lot of different things, a lot of varied styles here. The other big key feature I see is they're a very aggressive playstyle. These are guys that want to get in, get in there fast. Your survivability is a bit lacking on not all the units, but on a good amount of your units, at least a lot of your base units. So if you like to be aggressive, if you like to take the fight to them, this is a great faction for you. Um, for why not to, one, they have the same problem that the Hundred Kingdoms does, and that early on, the models in this game just did not look good. This is a very early faction, so some of these models are nice looking or, or very good looking. Siegebreaker Behemoth looks great. But some of the early ones, when you look at those force grown drones, they do not look that good. They don't go together that well. I, I've heard stories of people telling me that it, it is a challenge to work with. So you do have quite a dichotomy in what you have model wise. Some of your models are going to look really nice, and some of them just aren't. I do feel part of it is their paint schemes. I'm not a big fan of the white or off-white. Me personally, I would go with something else. But even on some of those early ones, force-grown drones, there's only so much you can do. There's only so much you know, lipstick you can put on a pig. Um, this is a faction that either wins early or just doesn't win. Um, they're an early game faction. You were So Nords were early game because their goal was to score early. At least the way I play them. Score early, get some damages in, and hope that's enough to win out. I see these guys as needing to get in and destroy someone fast because they don't survive the punchback. At least for the last time that I played against Spires, I found that, you know, they can do some good things, but if I just get my swings in, some of their units can just melt. Or if I get to control the timing, and as they start going down, you start losing your power very quickly. So you have all this biotic renewal, all this way to heal wounds, but if I get through it, if I break you and then you're not allowed to heal, your unit's not going to stand up to my attacks. Your unit's on bad defense. Okay resolves just because of the number of stands that you have. 
probably almost no evade if you have any at all. So if I have any cleave, I'm just getting right through you, or maybe you're on evade one. So I, I find that if you want to play the protracted game, if you really want to be there at the end, this is not a faction that does that well. This faction either wins early and wins big, or I think they can really suffer. And the other potential downside is that they can be very much a horde army. If you're taking these drones and, and base clones, these infantry models, you're going to probably need a lot of them. You know, they do have the big units. Don't get me wrong. You can take a lot of brutes and monsters and those sort of things. But your base guys, you're not going to be taking three packs. I know right now when I run my old Dominion, I do run some models as three packs. Some regular infantry as three packs. I wouldn't do that with a lot of these drone units or a lot of these clone units. Because there's just not enough of it. They're going to get wiped out too early, which means I need four, maybe five bases. And I'm still not even paying that much, depending on your units. But that means that's more to paint, and more and more to paint. And some of them, you're not going to necessarily be that inspired to paint, because they're not great-looking models. Um, some of the later stuff is absolutely beautiful, but some of the early stuff is a little rough. And, and that happens. The same reason, like I said, I talk about the Abomination. I don't like it at all. That's one of the things currently that would keep me away from this faction. I really do like them. I like the idea that they do. I like the overall look. But a few of the models are just no. Just way too no to me. All right. So that gives us a little bit about the Spires. Talks a little bit about who they are, what to play, what kind of things they do. Um, from here, where we're going next, I don't know which faction I want to do next. I haven't decided. So if you have a preference, do say so below in the comments on the YouTube at least. If you were watching this on YouTube, um, if you're not subscribed to the channel, please do subscribe. It really does help us out. And I'll, I'll you know, um, ask for the other things, obviously, likes, comments, all of that, because it really does help. I will admit, I was the type of person who never did those sorts of things. And then when I started running a channel, I realized, like, wait, that's actually a really big thing. Um, obviously, the more content we put out helps as well, but those sort of things really do help us. Like I said, if you're looking to pick up some Conquest stuff, we have affiliate link down below. Um, if you are enjoying our content, and for Conquest, we don't do quite as much, but if you watch a variety of our content, we also have a Patreon. Link is also below in the comments. That's all I'll bring up of that for the moment. Like I said, for this, I don't know which faction I'm going to next. I haven't fully decided. Um, I'm probably, unless there's a real big reason, I'm probably doing Dwight Home last because I'm just not a big fan of dwarves in general. Um, and this is sort of a solo project that I do. So, I mean, I'll see if Dan wants to come on for it, but otherwise, this is just me usually. So since I don't like them as much, I'll keep it later. But hey, if that's what everyone wants, we'll do it. We'll finish this here. I think this is more than enough. So on behalf of everyone here at the show, then, have some good hobbying and some great gaming.